Hello, my name is Dan Vernia. Today I'm here with Barry Lonick at his home in Dexter, Michigan. For the last 26 years, Barry has led the local effort to establish the model farmland and natural area protection programs in Washtenaw County, some of the most successful initiatives in Michigan. In 1991, Barry joined the board of the Legacy Land Conservancy and served as its first executive director for six and a half years. Over the years, Barry has been involved in 10 ballot campaigns raising over $150 million of public funds for the acquisition of land and conservation easements. Through Barry's direct involvement, nearly 7,000 acres of land have been permanently protected. So Barry, there's a lot we can talk about. The focus areas of our investigation are farm succession, land ownership, farmland preservation, and the role of community. To get started with, Let's look at the long-term costs and benefits of land use decisions. One of the things I found over my career is that local government officials who have the decision-making authority on how land gets used think of development, particularly residential development, as being beneficial for the community because it generates more tax revenue than open space lands like farmland. And what we find is that those officials don't look at the other side of the coin to say, how much are those different land uses costing them in terms of having to provide services to them and the taxes that are required for that? I've been involved in several studies uh, over the years that show that residential development in particular doesn't pay for itself. The first of those that we did was called a cost of community services study. This was a format that was developed by the American Farmland Trust many years ago and looks at a particular unit of government. In my case, we did one township here in Washtenaw County, and we compared what the costs were for providing services to three different land uses in those cases, residential lands, commercial and industrial lands, and open space and farmlands. And then how much tax revenues each of those land uses provides. And what we found in our study, which was very similar to what other studies like it around the country have found, is that, yeah, residential development does pay more in taxes than open space lands, but it costs more to service those properties with all the different things that are required. Additional police protection, additional fire services, road maintenance, township government, and particularly public schools. People that build houses oftentimes, or, or buy houses, have kids that need to go to school, and I'm all in support of good schools for our children, but that costs money to the community. And so what we found in our study was that residential development doesn't pay its way in taxes. Commercial industrial land pays its way in taxes. It generates a fair bit of revenue for the community, but doesn't require much in the way of services. Now, a lot of rural communities don't have commercial industrial land, so it really comes down to a choice of do you have residential lands or do you have open space and agricultural lands? And the open space agricultural lands don't pay a lot in taxes, but they don't require a lot in services either. The old saying about it is that, that cows don't go to school and cornfields don't call 911, which is very true. So preserving open space lands in our communities is a good long-term benefit for the community in terms of keeping taxes low. A second study that we did was called the Community Cost Comparison, which was a different township in this case, and said, so what would it take in terms of new taxes? to generate the amount of revenue needed to supply the services for three different scenarios of residential development. And in this township, it was about 2,000 acres of undeveloped land. So we said, what if that land was developed at half-acre lots, or three-acre lots, or 10-acre 
lots, which is actually the current zoning for most of the land in that particular township. What would it cost to provide services for those three different densities of development? Again, for police services, fire services, township government, road maintenance, and public schools. Then we also did the other side of the coin for that one, which was how much would it cost to buy conservation easements on those properties so those lands would never be developed. And it turned out that even for 10-acre developments, the cost of providing services to those new residential property owners exceeded the amount that would be required to buy conservation easements on all 2,000 acres of land. So it was a better deal for the community to preserve their land than to allow it to be developed. Cost less money in the long run. The third one we did was called the Total Tax Commitment Study, which looked at, over the course of a 10-year period, how much new taxes were required to supply the residential development in particular of the entirety of Washtenaw County. So we went back and looked at every new tax increase that had been approved by voters over the course of that time. The lion's share of that was for public school costs, new school construction in particular, but it also was the new fire truck, having to hire a new police officer, and other things like that. And over that 10-year period of time, and again, this is just Washtenaw County, you know, around Ann Arbor, it was $1 billion with a B of new taxes that people had committed to paying to support residential development in their communities. Now, again, having good schools for our kids is very important, but we wanted to point out the fact that you're making decisions with land use that are having long-term impacts on the community just in terms of the tax dollars. And that preservation of land is really a good long-term strategy for the community. What are some of the other reasons why it is worthwhile to preserve the farmland? There are a number of things, Dan. The first one that I would cite is what we call ecosystem services these days. Open space lands provide lots of benefits to the community that most people aren't even aware of. Like, for example, groundwater protection. When uh, rainwater and snowmelt has the ability to filter into the ground, it recharges groundwater aquifers that people get drinking water from, for example. Trees and prairies like I have here on my property store carbon from the atmosphere. When there isn't uh, impervious surfaces on properties, that is uh, rooftops and roadways and driveways and so forth where rainwater and snowmelt can't filter into the ground, those surfaces run water directly into local waterways untreated and cause flooding, cause pollution of those systems. Preserving open space lands maintains the quality of surface water in our area. Obviously, trees and other things produce oxygen for us to breathe. Open space lands provide soil stabilization as well. So there's all kinds of, again, ecosystem services that are provided from preserving lands. There's also a factor of the local economy. Most people don't think of agriculture as anything, but they are local businesses that are run by people and employ people within our community. Whether they're growing standard commodity crops like corn and soybeans, or whether they're growing fruits and vegetables. Those are businesses within our communities. And growing more and more these days around this area in particular, but all over the country really, is the idea of agricultural tourism, where people come to farms to have a farm or a rural experience, whether it's corn mazes or cider mills or event barns. Those are in high demand these days. So that's an important component of the local economy in our area here, but that's true elsewhere. And finally, I would say that there's an element of protecting what we call community character. Many times the communities will do surveys of their citizens, asking them what it is that they like about their communities and what they want to see protected as part of it. And 
every one that I've seen, people say, we like having a rural character, whatever that means, but having that rural feeling, having scenic views, even if they don't go to farms, they like being able to see farms, whether they're driving by or biking by, that's an element of the community that attracted them there in the first place and that they want to maintain. One of the things that I like that you said about that was the jobs and how those jobs are, in a sense, they're going to be there. It's not like a developer coming in with a construction crew, getting the job done and then taking off. With these people, it's steady employment and they're there in the community to support the other businesses. Yeah, a lot of them have been here for, in my area, you know, 150 years and they will continue to be here if we support them. So what can individuals and communities do to protect the farmland from overdevelopment? Well, every community around here, certainly, and this is true in most places around the country, have the authority to do planning and zoning within their communities. In Michigan, every township has its own planning commission, as well as its elected board of trustees. And those are the folks who make decisions on how land is going to be used going forward. There's certainly a lot that can be done for good planning, but it's very limited in what they can do also. For example, one of the townships where I work now, where the agricultural zoning allows for property to be divided into two acre parcels and have houses built on them. So you could take a hundred acre parcel and divide it up into 52 acre lots and it's still considered zoned agricultural. There are other townships that have taken on a 10 acre minimum zoning. So if you want to build a house, you got to put a house on 10 acres. So you can take 100 acres and make 10 houses out of it. It's still zoned agricultural. It's no longer an agricultural use in all likelihood. But that has slowed development to some degree in some communities. Good planning also provides you with an opportunity for legal defense when you get sued. And it's not if you get sued, it's when you get sued. Developers will come in and contest your zoning or your master plan. And if you've done good work on those kinds of documents, then when you go to court, you can use that to defend yourself. There have been a number of cases in Ann Arbor Township in particular where they've been sued uh, because the developer wanted to do something that wasn't permitted under the zoning and wasn't supported by the master plan for the community. And the uh, developers lost those lawsuits time and time again because the township was able to fall back on the statements that were made in the public process of creating a master plan or a general development plan sometimes called, and a zoning ordinance that are created by the planning commission but approved by the board of trustees in those communities. So that's a very important thing is that if you've done good planning that provides you with a better standing to fend off developer lawsuits. Many communities have also um, identified what they call an agricultural preservation area where they say this is where our current ag land is and going forward this is where we'd like it to continue to be. We might identify other areas for residential development or commercial development, but if we have the opportunity to preserve farmland, this is gonna be the area, our ag preservation area, where we're gonna do that. Many communities have also undergone uh, a process of identifying the key natural features that they have remaining in their township to know where the woods and the wetlands and the streams are located and to develop policies to be able to protect them. Many communities use things like cluster developments where they say, Rather than putting 50 houses on 100 acres that will allow you to put maybe 52 or 54 houses on that 100 acres on slightly smaller lots with open space preservation as part of it. That can be beneficial, but doesn't protect farmland 
by any means. So there's lots of things that communities can do for planning and zoning, but they have the limitations as well. And what can the individual do to participate in these decisions? Well, the master planning process and the revisions of zoning ordinances, or the creation of new zoning ordinances, are public processes. And so you as an individual, anyone, can participate in that process by attending meetings. A lot of stuff is online these days. You could also volunteer to be a member of a planning commission in your township, your county, your city, your village. And ultimately, you could run for office. You could be a member of a board of trustees or a city council or a village council or a county commissioner and be involved even more directly 